27,000 nuclear weapons. One is missing. We are the SpyFi guys, and this is the sum of all fears. Welcome to the SpyFi guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And today we are returning to the world of Jack Ryan with our next, the next, we're actually going in order with this series. Um, so we're going with the Sum of All Fears, which does not have Harrison Ford, but instead is a reboot of sorts with Ben Affleck. That's right. And it's from 2002, the same year as Triple X. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. And what different movies they are. So as usual, when we do any of these uh, Jack Ryan, Tom Clancy movies, we have our Tom Clancy fanboy on, Lance. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Welcome back, Lance, our reigning world champion of the Spy Fi Glies Global James Bond Draft Day, at least until next year. Yeah, right? <laughs> the overwhelming nope. champion, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> no one likes a braggart. <laughs> so we have this movie <laughs> i understand lance has a bit of a chip on his shoulder about this movie do we want to say why or do you want to wait until after we're done oh well, let's just get rip that bandage off now <laughs> being the tom clancy fanboy i am the key phrase in there is tom clancy i actually love this book the sum of all fears it's one of my favorite of of clancy's novels and what the the screenwriters did to this movie to me is something akin to a gross abomination. <laughs> it's very strong. There are so many differences between the book and this movie. Uh, they very easily could have called it a, a different title. That They could have called it Jack Ryan pre-Shadow Recruit or something like that. <laughs> but that being said, as uh, Zach and I were talking before we got started, uh, I did rewatch the movie and I tried very, very, very hard to distance myself from the book. And when I did that, I will admit that I did enjoy it a little bit better. But then once the credits started rolling, I did weep a little bit. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, with that preface, why don't we get into it? Here's the IMDb summary. CIA analyst Jack Ryan must stop the plans of a neo-Nazi faction that threatens to induce a catastrophic conflict between the United States and Russia's president by detonating a nuclear weapon at a football game in Baltimore, Maryland. That, wow, is, that is long. <laughs> very detailed, yeah. Excessively uh, so. We start this movie with opera singing or some sort of vocalization. I was wondering if, you know, we were about to see Aquaman. Aquaman? <laughs> what about the Wonder Woman from the Snyder uh, Cut? Was it, I thought it was Aquaman where they have the singing. The one that's like, ah, that's Wonder Woman. Yeah, it's, it's definitely Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, yeah. No, yeah. I don't remember. I, see, I blocked out that movie. Yeah, yeah, but the opening is like Lord of War. The I was also going to reference War that, opening. yeah. Yeah. For those of you who haven't seen it, it follows a bullet through its life, only this time it's following a nuke out of a hangar onto a plane. Yep. Or in one of my favorite places in Israel in 1973, the Yom right. Kippur War. Mm -hmm. And this was an A-4 that took off, and mm -hmm. we get the pilot... <laughs> making the worst mistake that a pilot in a movie can ever do. It's looking at the picture of his family in his cockpit. I thought you were going to say having a family. No, that you can have a family, but you can just not never have the photo in there and then look at it and then you get distracted and you blow up. Didn't Top Gun, they had pictures of their sweethearts? If a sweetheart no. is okay, but a family, no? Or just no pictures of anybody? Very beginning of Top Gun, it's Cougar and he has a picture of his wife and kid and he loses his edge. 
Yep. And dies. <laughs> no, it doesn't die, thankfully, but he turns in his wings. Well, also, his, his flying career dies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Or uh, if you want to go back to a movie we covered already, Pearl Harbor, he's got a picture of uh, Evelyn in the cockpit. Oh, Kate Beckinsale, yeah. Yep. And then he crashes. But what about the Rocketeer? Doesn't he have a picture of Jenny? Yes, and he crashes. So that's the worst mistake a pilot in a movie can make. So this opening has text, which I didn't feel like it needed. It was basically talking about the Yom Kippur War. I Once they said, you know, all right, year, or I I think it was like something where I didn't quite connect it. And then, oh, that's right. That was that war. No, you're right. I think it was necessary. I think they needed to explain it. I I don't know if they needed to explain it via text. I and wondered if they could have explained it via dialogue. Do but you really they, want that much more movie in this movie? I suppose not. But the, the only yeah. thing is, it was unclear what's real and what's fictional. Because <laughs> this movie doesn't claim to be based on a true story. Okay. But we'll get to that in Spy Fact versus Fiction. All right. So, yeah. So, the plane gets shot down and the nuke lands in the desert where it is buried by the sands of time. Ooh. Great Which music. I, very dramatic. Yeah. Which I will have to say, this part is... Also, the, the same in, in the book. It starts off with the 73 Yom Kippur War. I'm going to have to go with, with Christian on this one, Zach. I'm sorry. I, I think the, the text actually ex- explained it well enough, and kind of for the same reasons that Christian was mentioning. It just gave like a brief overview because not everybody's going to realize you know, what war it was. And I also think you know, the fact that Israel did not have a very good first 48 hours of that war uh, would explain why they would have had um, a fighter bomber with uh, a Mark 12 nuclear warhead to it. The Just only thing flying I... around by itself, yeah. <laughs> but that that actually is something that I, I didn't even like in the book. Yeah, that, <laughs> that plane's not going to be flying around all by itself with nobody tracking it. You don't make the decision to put a nuke on a plane and be like, okay, well, I'm going to go to McDonald's and grab a McRib. That's, that's <laughs> not how this, this works. Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember <laughs> the playwright David Mamet wrote somewhere, I think in one of his books, that... The sum of all fears' plot is based around the dumb Jews losing a nuclear weapon, which I thought was funny. It was funny. You're allowed to laugh at that. I'm not. <laughs> it's funny you mention that because next week in our microdot, we will be discussing the many times the United States has lost a nuclear weapon. <laughs> and it is many. So why couldn't Tom right. just have us do it? Mm-hmm. Flash forward to the present day of 2002. Where there's a convoy to Mount Weather, Virginia. Where the heck is Mount Weather? Great question. I think is it's a, real... a secret. I think it's a state secret, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, is Mount Vernon of Mount Weather a real place? I've never heard of it. I'm not answering that question. Not like, is there a top secret base there? But I'm wondering, is there an actual place in Virginia called Mount Weather? Mount Weather does exist. Okay. Uh, it's, it's actually called the Mount Weather Emergency Operations Center. Oh, Okay. It is uh, located in actually Bluemont, Virginia. Part of Virginia I'm not very familiar with. It, it kind of brought me back to, Zach, remember when we were talking about Triple X? Mm-hmm. And I said, where the hell is this mountain that the LNSA's secret headquarters is supposedly in near DC? What the hell? There is not, as it turns yeah, out. Yeah, of course not. We find out that the Russians have gone to alert status. They have birds in the air. There's one of his uh, president's staff is demanding that he go to DEFCON 1. They're all, you know, doing the whole thing. We've got, you know, the ID check and everything. There's the football. Yep, you got the football. And then during it, the first lady calls. Okay, a couple of things here. Yep. One of the people is an actor who always plays an asshole in every role (laughs) that he's in. Right. Who is this guy? His name is Bruce McGill. And I think you're most likely to know him. I think he's the dean in Animal House. (laughs) 
He is in Animal House. Is he I in think... 24? He's not the dean, though, in Animal House. Oh, is he a um, douchebag in Animal House, though? But if you uh, see his face, you will immediately recognize him. I yeah, don't think he yeah. was in 24. Sorry, Okay, all right. That's typically play kind of a douche. Yeah, and they also talk about the Russian president named Sorkin. It sounded like President Aaron Sorkin. I thought that was funny. <laughs> the fact that the first lady calls turns out it's all just an exercise, or they call it a drill, so no big deal. And they joke about, oh, really? I have to do this again every year? <laughs> also, the president is James Cromwell, a.k.a. Zephram Cochran. Right, of course. Always nice to see other him. roles. The president has to send a bunch of people to Russia for weapons mm-hmm. inspection. He wants his good friend, William Cabot, played by Morgan Freeman, to go. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, well, no, William Cabot wants to go, rather. Not president doesn't want him to send people to go. He send staff. But he's like, no, I want to be there. It's kind of weird that the because I think in in the in both the book and the the movie Cabot is the I think he's like the deputy director for Central Intelligence or, or uh, okay. the director of CIA which would be weird for him to go to something like that it would be yeah. unusual I will say Cabot is no James Greer like he's fine no. he's played by Morgan Freeman but no. I like Greer better <laughs> fair enough we next go to CIA HQ and hey. One of my pet peeves is not here. We don't go through the whole, the seal and the stars and everything. We just go to CIA headquarters inside, you know, an office with analysts. And while we're there, we meet our new sexy Jack Ryan, Ben Affleck. And he's like at least 10 times sexier than everybody else at the CIA. I feel like they oh, must okay. have been I thought you were going to say then the other Jack Ryans. And I was going to say like, uh, I mean, they're all very attractive men. So I, I would fight you on that. <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. But everyone else is like dorky and they're wearing like sweater vests. What's wrong with sweater vests? <laughs> they're dorky and I wear them too. So I can say that. But Jack <laughs> is like, he's got his feet up on his desk and they're doing something really cool where they're identifying Russians based on news footage. They're like, mm-hmm. it's that guy and it's her and their connection well, to the I other one. How, how like they weren't sure which one was which. It was like, and they were, I don't remember what the two very similar Russian names Yes. They could not identify who, which one was that and who was banging which other Russian person. <laughs> the same blazer for, that he wore on this other time and it's not not buttoned up. So you tell he's gaining weight. He will fell off the wagon. He might have health concerns, etc. Yeah, it's a lot to draw a conclusion from a different blazer. I mean, I assume this is not their primary method of gathering intelligence, but it's an, you know, it's an extra thing that can help. It's a way to do it, right? I mean, it's, it's like Maxwell's smart level of analysis back in Get Smart. That's fair. <laughs> fair. <laughs> we go over to Vienna, Austria, where there's a meeting of white nationalists. Yeah, they're a bunch of old guys, and it's revealed that one of them has a watch with a swastika etched into the back of it. Why would you have that? Your secret decoder ring. <laughs> <laughs> they love their branding. And if Germans know anything, they do know watches. Yeah. <laughs> As we've learned from other spy movies. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that just sort of tips us off to there's a, a faction of white nationalists who are trying to get something done. Yeah, this now, dude makes a whole speech and you still can't figure out what he's saying when it's over. <laughs> How typical. Uh, so over in the desert, someone finds a nuke and we go back to Moscow. Like this movie jumps around a lot. Like there's a lot of characters here, but I think it actually does a fair job of telling us, well, other than like the one introducing shot, which has like a, a location name. For the most part, they just got to jump back and forth. It's no Torah, Torah, Torah. Everything seems easier in comparison to that. <laughs> yeah. True. Anyway, so back in Moscow, 
the Russian president is tired of people judging his health and making a whole big to do about it, and that he promptly dies. Yeah, it's some dramatic irony. <laughs> yeah, that's some Shakespeare level stuff right there. <laughs> we see Jack Ryan in bed. He's woken up by a pager going off. It's our new sexy Kathy to go along with the new sexy Jack Ryan. Bridget Moynihan. <laughs> what happened to her career? The last thing I can remember her is, isn't she the dead wife in John Wick? I think so, but actually she moved to the small screen, was one of the main characters on the cop show Blue Bloods. She oh. was the- she played Tom's daughter. Okay. All right. So she, I mean, I'm, I'm happy that she's still working. That's right. Blue Bloods is the last thing on her IMDb. Also, Battle Los Angeles. I remember that movie. <laughs> That's right. 2011. Yeah. That's right. Not only are they not married, they don't have kids, obviously, and they're just getting started with their relationship. I have this note where I'm like, get out of bed. It takes <laughs> them like 15 minutes to get out of bed. Hurry up. We have a movie to watch. <laughs> Especially if, if she's. Right, if it's her pager, she's a doctor. Yeah. I know, like, answer the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially given the nature of his job. Or her job, for that matter, as a doctor. Like, you don't know what why she's being paged. So, oh, at the, at the time, though, Jack's just like a regular old analyst. I mean, he may yeah. not be expecting any type of... True, and that's why he doesn't think like it... That. Like That's why he says, even, like, mine's mostly for show. Right. Although, in 2002, did we have pagers, really? Other than if you're a doctor... Why well, would return that question to Lance? Because Lance, my understanding is that you can't bring a cell phone in to many places. Can you bring a pager in? If it's Maybe. a one-way pager, yes. Hmm, okay. There you go. It, it can receive, but it cannot send. Find out that Alexander Nemirov is the new president of Russia. Alexander Nimrod. Uh... That's seriously what I thought his name was at first. <laughs> Oh, come on. They say it so many times. You didn't get Nemirov. And they say it slightly differently every time, too. It doesn't <laughs> well, help. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get to that. But yeah, so <laughs> Ryan apparently wrote a paper on Nemirov, which no one read. But of course, now they're reading it. Everyone's reading it, including Cabot. And so he meets Cabot in a hallway. Cabot sort of judges his, uh, you know, schlubby appearance. I wanted to point something else about that. Is he yes. has khaki pants that are very billowy. Have you guys, <laughs> do you guys notice that in some of the yeah. wide shots? Mm-hmm. I, I think that was like the fashion in the 2000s. Oh, yeah. Almost like bell-bottom-ish. Yeah. Which is very interesting to see a period that you've lived through now become <laughs> the past. Yep. I don't know. I kind of wore the same clothes every day <laughs> back then. So yeah. fashion may not be my strong suit mm. there. <laughs> Outside the meeting room, he's, he takes someone else's coat and tie and gives it to Ryan. and they Which go I actually through. have seen that happen before. <laughs> really? That's hilarious. Where someone's been like, I need your tie. Hmm. <laughs> I would believe that, too. So they go into an intelligence committee meeting, but not the kind you see on C-SPAN. The kind that are held in a frosted glass cube that looks like it was built to hold Magneto. Yeah, when he says the line, you'd never watch one of these on C-SPAN, I thought it was going to be like the fun kind of intelligence briefing. What's the fun kind? I don't know. (laughs) It's like in a different sort of movie, like if it was Uh... like... If it was like in like Flint or something, where they're all, they all have like bu- those buffalo hats from the Simpsons on. I God. mean, the Flintstones. <laughs> Just the line, you've never seen one of these on C-SPAN. I expected more from it. That's I expected all. ultra secret, but so that, I was okay ex- with that. You expected exactly what we got. Yeah. Yeah, there so didn't there's... seem to be anything in that meeting, per se, that would have struck me as particularly classified. I mean, they were just talking about the guy's background. They weren't talking about necessarily how they knew it. I think um, it was secret because they didn't want to reveal on C-SPAN that they literally know nothing about this guy. 
that could be true. But I did like the fact when Ryan kept leaning forward and, and, and saying something <laughs> when uh, when Cabot leans back and is like, I told you that we would want your opinion, but I didn't say that when you should speak. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough to know what to do in those kind of situations. Not like right. I would know. But I tell you uh, one it, thing that I really liked, and, and I'm especially you know I saw this you know way back early in my intelligence career, and didn't really pick up on a lot of different things that I did this time around. But one of the things I really liked and appreciated was when you know Cabot and Ryan are walking through mm-hmm. right before the meeting, and Cabot tells him, "If you don't know the answer, say I don't know. You're allowed <laughs> to not know the answer." It's like, mm-hmm. wow, that's awesome. <laughs> It's very interesting, yep. as opposed to a lot of other situations where you would think saying "I don't know" would make you look weak or incompetent or stupid, yeah. right? And especially at, at that level, you could say one thing, and it could get interpreted by somebody at a senior level, and all of a sudden you've now gone down a completely different rabbit hole that you had no intention of, just because, uh, kind of like Christian was saying, Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman is an idiot. <laughs> In this movie, I'm not saying that about you know current or future or past. Specifically referring <laughs> to the movie. When you said as Christian, I was like, well, well hold on. Let me have plausible deniability here, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am retired and can say such things now, but no, I was actually definitely referring to the character in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Opinions in this podcast are personal <laughs> and not <laughs> of any organizations that the participants may be affiliated with in the past uh, or present. Yeah. Well played. <laughs> Cabot, <laughs> Cabot says he wants a few d- days to gather more intel. He's got a source in, in Russia. That who, so they walk out of the meeting. I noticed that Ryan has not given the jack and die back. Well, when would he? They just walked out of the meeting. That's what you just but said. But they're outside. Yeah, that's funny. The suit and tie, or the suit and uh, tie in uh, a different building. And they were walking uh, back to that building. That could be that. Well, no, they go like right in. They like they, it's, right outside, it's right outside the door that they, he grabs someone's suit. But anyways... That was just a funny thing I noticed. We also find out that Cabot has done his homework on Ryan. He knows who Kathy is and that they've been dating for not too long. Haha, <laughs> mass surveillance is hilarious. We also have uh, Kathy and her co-worker talking about Jack. They mentioned yes. his marine history and that he hurt his back. You know, the co-worker is trying to get information out of her. You know, is he cute? Is, on a scale of 1 to 10, 12. This was the most blatant failing of the bitch cell test I have ever seen in any movie ever. Back in the desert, we see the guys. Back in the Golan Desert. Thank you. Did you guys notice that? I did not. Yes, actually, I did notice that. There is no Golan Desert. There's the Golan Heights. (laughs) Oh. Right. And then there's the Sinai Desert and also the Negev Desert. It was probably in the Sinai Desert. Which is why I just called it the desert. (laughs) Well, they specifically see the Golan Desert in the movie, oh, yeah. which is funny. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. For- <laughs> the guys are trying to sell the missiles to this white guy. Did you lose anyone? Oh, yes, my son died in the war. The guy says, oh, this is useless, but in honor of your son, I'll give you $400. What a slime ball. Right. Then we next see this the buyer watching Antiques Roadshow as he's sending an encrypted message reselling the, the bomb for $50 million. <laughs> it's a I good mean, deal. I'm turning a profit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Here's a good question because I don't have it down in my notes. Do we ever see Cabot recruit Ryan to come to to Russia? I well, don't remember it. I don't remember exactly what he says, but I have a note here about Cabot being sarcastic to him. Well, also just in general, always really. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Ha- All I have in my notes is that they're on the plane. It's like, oh yeah, I I do not remember if they actually like have a scene where he's like, oh yeah, you're coming with me. I wouldn't but be surprised because he is the he is you know. 
their subject matter expert on Nemorov. Yeah, Maybe I mean, that would make sense. Seemed like a skip scene to me, unless I just missed it entirely. And Ryan has to call Kathy. She asks, oh, what's that noise? Oh, I'm on a plane. Where are you going? Uh, I can't tell you. And at this point, Cabot's like, just tell her where you're going. In fact, tell her what your job is. She'll be impressed. So he does. And she's like, that is so lame and hangs up on him. <laughs> he starts laughing his ass off. Cabot which did. yes. <laughs> which, and, and everybody else on the plane, you can kind of see, starts laughing. It was unclear to me whether or not Cabot was being sarcastic here. So I have Cabot sarcasm, question mark. I think he meant to do, he, he knew exactly how Kathy would react and just mm. wanted to screw with him. Right. Absolutely. Here, here's my thing. Like living in this area, anytime someone's vague about their job, alarm be- or red flags go up. Oh, I know what you actually do. Or so it's like, come on. Yeah, or potentially what you do. But like, it's like, like we only hear he's a historian. We don't see here where he works or anything like, else like that. Uh, like, at least, you know, in the other Jack Ryan series, movies or TV show, he usually has a pretty good alibi. Here, he's just a no name, his, like, a you know, just a fill in the blank historian. It really doesn't. I feel like with this vagueness, she should have gotten some hand living in this area. <laughs> Well, you can tell that the screenwriter of the movie did not live in this area. They live in Fair LA. Enough. <laughs> Fair well, enough. She, she did say that um, when she was talking to one of her co-workers that, you know, he was a historian for some think tank, which there are, there's a billion think tanks also okay. around this area, too. But again, how many, like anytime you have think tank or uh, I work for, you know, the State Department something. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like 50% of the time, oh, I know what you actually do, but I won't say anything because I, you, you clearly don't want people to know. So I'm just going to, you know, file that away and move on with it. You've worked for the Spy Museum for way too long. Uh, not <laughs> worked, just a volunteer. Volunteer. I wish I could get a job there, but no. <laughs> You're listening, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> they go to Russia and it's very blue there. And I mean, blue. literally, there's a blue tint on everything. Is there a blue house with a blue window? He's a crooked man with a crooked house. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Zach, that did completely well. Yeah, I didn't get it. So I changed I mean, the I subject. Guess it's, it's more 1999 than 2002. Blue by uh, iPhone 65. I only listen to Irish music. It's been discussed. <sighs> Lance, did you get what I, what I said? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to lie. No, I didn't. What? <laughs> oh, my God. You know, you're a little older, Lance. So that's, that's acceptable. Zach wow. My age. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm just saying, in, you know, in two thousand, in nineteen ninety nine, that that mu- music would have been right around when me and Zach would have it popular. But apparently, Zach just oh, doesn't listen to popular music. Did you guys know that the song "Mambo Number no. 5 came out in nineteen ninety nine? I thought it was like from the seventies. Yeah. No, that no. sounds about right. I knew it was a new song. Anyways, we're getting way off track. Here because- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they're in Russia yeah. and everything's blue, and yeah. it's another that guy. There's a bunch oh, yes. of that guys in this movie. This one is the one who was in Game of Thrones and also in Munich as one of the hitmen. Oh, okay. His name is Tyrion Hand. <laughs> oh, I think, that's, I think that's right. Actually, I mean, that's Nemirov. Yeah, mm-hmm. he yeah. actually also played uh, Julius Caesar in the HBO miniseries Rome. Yeah, that's right. That's, he did. Uh, he's that's also right, Dumbledore's, Dumbledore's brother. He's also a villain from Justice League. What's that? Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf. Yeah. <laughs> He's also one of the theater owners in The Phantom of the Opera. He actually has a really good Wait. singing voice. Kieran Hines? Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. Hold on. I need to look this up. That's cool. So anyway, he's the classic that guy. He's the president, and he knows Ryan, and Ryan knows him. Which is to say that he's read Ryan's work. Right, yeah. On himself. 
which would make sense because obviously they would have had us submitted who is actually coming over and mm-hmm. they would have had some type of dossier and they would have realized you know, that, that Ryan wrote some type of report on them a while ago and, and so on and so forth. So that Holy crap, sense. he's Furman from the Phantom of the Opera. What the hell? <laughs> the Phantom of the Opera movie? That was terrible. Yes. Thank you. But I, I know, I'm just saying, but I'm like, I never would have recognized as, as as much as I would never have recognized the Duke from Moulin Rouge as the henchman from MI2. Oh, it took me forever to realize that the actual Phantom was Gerard Butler. Oh, that, that, I knew that. I knew that. Anyways, again, we're getting <laughs> way off course because we don't want to talk about this movie. Oh, geez, no, that's not actually true. I'm, I will say this held my attention for uh, th- thus far. Anyway, thus so, far, yes. right. Yeah, so... Nemirov has a message for Cabot to give to the president, who is his close friend, that Chechnya is an internal affair. Also, we meet uh, Grushkov, who is played by Michael Byrne, who you will recognize from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade as the head Nazi that he fights with. Oh, the guy whose face melts? No, no. And Last Crusade, the one who's on the tank and falls off. Oh, that's right. No, I don't remember the one who was on the tank. I remember the one who ages really fast, and also General Veers, which might be the same person. No, it's not him. It, it's, it's not General, not General Veers. Veers. No, <laughs> basically, he's been around since Brezhnev, which was pre. Um, was Brezhnev the, the one who did who did uh, a Pedestroika? I don't know. It sounds right. I, it's about that era. So, which is openness and Glasnost, which is. I forgot what Glasnost was. One of them was openness and one of them was like cooperation. But it's basically when they started cooperating more with the West. So he goes back to Brezhnev, still around because not only does he know where all the bodies are buried, but he helped bury them. Yeah. (laughs) We go to the weapons inspection. It's in the Tundra, which is also very blue. So there are 17 scientists who are supposed to be around. And I got Spider-Man flashbacks here. There are 16 genetically super modified super spiders here. Fifteen. One's missing. Uh, yeah, right. I don't. I don't remember that. <laughs> three missing scientists here, and Grushkov makes excuses for all three. I do like how they go in the front entrance, and there's a nuclear bomb being lowered, like within sight of the front door. <laughs> yep. That doesn't seem accurate to me. I yeah. also there's a part where I think it's Jack Ryan and Cabot are standing next to two Russians, and both yeah. of the Russians are very much shorter than the americans they're like at least a head shorter did you guys notice that i did not notice that i think it's supposed to be because they're like undernourished because they're russian (laughs) or just ben affleck's really tall i mean he is though how (laughs) tall is morgan freeman i don't know but his voice is even taller ah very true very true his voice adds like five feet (laughs) (laughs) anyway so we go to haifa in israel where they are moving the bomb yeah remember when supply lines actually worked I wonder if that joke will still be relevant when this episode actually drops. I really hope not. (laughs) Yeah, let's go with no. They're going back to the U.S. on the plane. The missing scientists have basically all the pieces you need in terms of experience to build a bomb. Cabot knows that they're lying about where they are. He says he has a source inside the Kremlin called Spinnaker. And then Cabot gives Ryan some tickets for the White House Correspondents' Dinner to make up for the nasty trick he played on him with, with the Kathy. I like that he's willing to help Jack out with his relationship. That's I mean, he nice. did screw it up just for the sake of a laugh. He, he did. He's a dick, but he's like, I'm not going to ruin your relationship just for that joke. It's like, you know, I, I had my moment. I guess Jack did come with him on the trip, so he owes him yeah. a little something. Yeah. Well, it's not but, like Jack had a choice either. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the director so. of CIA asked you to come to Russia. You, you say yes. 
I, I don't even think they asked. No, it just tells you. <laughs> it tells right. you you're going to Russia. You do it. There you go. That's better. <laughs> anyway, so as they get off the plane, he tells Ryan to meet him in the car. And he goes off the side. Who meets John Clark here, played by Liev Schreiber. A.K.A. Sabretooth. Yes. Yes. Find out that John Clark is now working a desk job. Cabot gives him a mission to find the missing scientists. Recon only. He's not going to have to go out and kill someone. We're just trying to find the scientist. And then he gives his tickets to the White House Correspondents' Dinner to Jack Ryan. That was the way George R. R. Martin says people are smart in Game of Thrones, where they yeah. make a move that benefits them in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. And like playing one group against the other, like some 3D chess. Yep, this is one of them. So we actually get a scene in the White House Correspondents' Dinner. I was curious. They said the Hiltons. I'm like, all right, which Hilton? There are like four. Well, you wouldn't be able to tell because it's just the one ballroom. I don't know. I might be able to as, an, as someone who's had different events in different Hiltons. I would be pretty impressed. So the president makes a Jewish joke here. So this movie's given it to choose on both just the Jewish Atlantic. joke. It's, of the Atlantic. <laughs> it's more of an electoral college vote, making fun of a lot of different people, which I, 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 I like this joke. <laughs> the whole bit I mean, was pretty darn good. Yeah. yeah. And especially if you've lived in Florida, you know, the, the, the joke's not necessarily wrong. <laughs> He's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. So then a bunch of phones all go off at once. And this is great. I actually thought it was really yeah, exciting and cool. Yeah. Everyone, not just phones, beepers, everything goes off. And we find that Russia has launched an offensive against Chechnya using chemical weapons. That's right. Like Apparently, it's even the worst chemical weapon attack. And so the president is trying to formulate a response. They don't want to do anything too drastic. So what's their idea? Limited diplomatic recognition for Chechnya because they're not independent. That's enough to get peacekeepers in. Yeah, because peacekeepers always make a situation better. Yeah. But Cabot asks what Ryan thinks. And Ryan, pretty sure... Nemirov is not behind the attack. He does the classic Jack Ryan thing of speaking louder in a conference to get the attention on him and say what he means. So I have a question here. Yes. For Lance. Uh, Mm -hmm. Aren't Intel people not supposed to say and politicians are not supposed to ask, what should we do about a given situation? And don't they do that here, basically? Well, they ask him, what do you think? They don't ask him for action. They ask him for whether he thinks that Nemirov was actually behind it. Which would have been a, a valid question to ask. Yeah. Uh, so no, I absolutely can see see that happening. I wrote down the quote and they said, what oh, do yeah. you think? So it's yeah. a little bit ambiguous. Yeah. When he responds, he doesn't say, you should do this. He just tells what his opinion of the situation is. Yeah. That's yeah, I mean, right. yeah, he yeah. didn't give him, just says, yeah. I don't. I don't think he did it. But and then when... a theory about, which made me like think about every single James Bond movie with a rogue Russian general. Like, right. Oh. <laughs> and you kind of had almost like a flashback moment to the Hunt for Red October mm-hmm. um, part where, you know, Cabot turns around, looks at, at Jack and, and kind of mouths to him um, to say, you know, I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't know. Um, yep. And it goes back to like when, Ryan was first meeting with uh, the national security advisor and so on and so forth. And they think that the Russian submarine is going to like come towards mm-hmm. the U S they've got a rogue captain and Ryan kind of figures out there's an alternative and slams his uh, hands yes. down on his desk. It's like, son of a bitch. Like, you have something to add, Dr. Ryan. That's what that kind of reminded me. of. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely got the same vibe from that. After that, they clear the room and Ryan watches a news report where Nemirov is making a statement. Nemirov says it was his decision to do this. Not good for Ryan's theory. Jack proposes it and then Nimrod immediately undermines it. Yep. Which is pretty unfortunate. But it actually, you know, when I saw that, I was like, if I'm an analyst, I'm like, if that would actually make expense, especially as he just, you know, 
in the movie anyway. Yeah. He just took over the Russian presidency. And mm-hmm. so, you know, even if Jack's theory was true, he can't come out and be like, uh, actually, I didn't authorize this. One of my generals just went off and did it on his own. Yeah, no, you would not. I mean, and they go say that in the very next scene that it, that it wasn't him and he's like trying to find out who it was. And it was apparently a ro- Russian general, just like Ryan predicted he, that it was him or he'll, the world will think that he doesn't have control of his military. Yeah, it was a very interesting insight into the way Russian politics works. Yeah. I feel like it's a very American way to say it wasn't my fault. It was Ali North or it wasn't my fault. It was somebody else. <laughs> uh huh. And they don't really mind if they look like they're not totally in control. But in Russia, it's a little different. Because, yeah, you've got the whole the, all the hardliners who, you know, are, want to rattle the saber. And be of hardliners. Oh, the white supremacist meeting. Yeah, the, the white supremacists are back. And there's an American yeah. one. There's an American one. There's a French one. You know, every color. Under, there's a Russian one. Every color under the rainbow. Well, well maybe not, not really every color. color. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I can think of a few that wouldn't be at. at, at <laughs> think of a few that wouldn't be at a, a white yeah. supremacist rally. No. So they they call it a big <laughs> Nazi team up. Yep. And it's really great to know that back in 2002, the idea of all the Nazis getting together across the world was just one big fantasy. I definitely when I saw when I saw heard that part. I was like, oh. They even say like right wing nationalist groups yep. or whatever yep. are on the rise in Europe. Yeah, there actually is a lot um, about this movie that plays better now. The neo Nazism, for for example, than it did back in early to mid two thousand two when this came out. We'll probably get into this in the book, but isn't in the book isn't it a Islamic terrorist? Oh, it absolutely is Islamic terrorist. Which is, um, I remember reading about this that in the, when they're creating the story, they realized first of all when they was they were making this movie pre nine eleven, but it released post nine eleven. That's right. Yes, they said you know these Islamic terrorist villains in movies are becoming so like cliched and past, and they don't want to do to feed into that. Right, and, so that's and actually, they changed it. and actually, if I remember correctly, I'd have to check on this later, but I think the movie was actually supposed to premiere earlier than what it. It, yeah, it, it got, uh, it got but delayed. But because yeah. of 9-11, it delayed for obvious reasons. Yeah. I also thought in the book they were actually Arab nationalist, not Islamic. But the, I don't remember well, it that well. You could be they're, right. I don't actually well, remember it. the same thing. Just be accurate. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so these white nationalists, one of them is not on board with the plan, so they immediately kill him, which is total James Bond specter. Right. <laughs> I, yes. I, I kind of enjoyed that. I will not lie. I was like, oh. And they even have like him choking him with his own scarf. It's like the henchman is like a giant hulking blonde. He's like, oh, this is straight out of a James Bond movie. I'm okay yeah. with that. And if you couldn't see that coming, you've never watched a spy movie in your entire life. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> every time one of the main plotters is like, you know, I'm no longer come for this, or I went out, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, sure. You know, go about your merry way. You know, no hard feelings. And the guy yeah. dies 30 seconds yep. later. Yep. <laughs> Didn't they even kill a dissident in Rainbow Six, the environmental terrorist group that were the bad guys? Uh, no? yes. you don't, do you remember? Okay, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, we go to Baltimore. It's season three of The Wire where they're on the docks. <laughs> or maybe it's season two. We meet a guy named Mason who comes off as really creepy. Yeah, and he's uh, basically a sleeper agent, we find out. Yeah, well, it's interesting because he's getting the bomb. And then this other dock worker comes in and he's like, hey, Mason, what's up? How's it going? Like, they've known each other for a long time. Yeah. But Mason still acts really weird and suspicious. Well, so he's not getting the bomb yet. He's just actually getting a message that, the, you know, the day is coming. He's part yeah. of the plot. Yeah. I just thought it was weird. I felt like he should have acted more natural, but that's just me. In real life, yes. But for a movie audience who needs to get clued into this fact really quick, you take a shortcut. 
That is yeah. back to the analysts where we find that Nemrov has, you know, gotten his you know military status up, but he's not moving the tanks. They're just staying there. And they're like Ryan and the other analysts are wondering why. Ryan gives a chess metaphor about all the different pieces moving that he's doing. Basically, he doesn't want to escalate the situation, which is yeah. what they want. Yeah. And we go over to Clark, who finds one of the missing scientists' mother in Russia. And she reveals that her son has a secret job. He's not even supposed to call his mother. Clark gets the number. They trace it. And Kevin and Ryan are updated that three missing Russian scientists are in the Ukraine. And there's a good question. of Nemirov has tons of nukes. Why does he need to build a bomb? Why? Deniability. If you can't trace it, it wouldn't look like you. Which becomes relevant later. Yeah. But then my question is, these guys, and by these guys, I mean the white nationalist terrorists, they already have a bomb. They, they recovered one. It wasn't so why working. are they building another one? It was in the in the desert for what? How many decades? 23 years, according to the movie. Thank you. I assume you're going to need to repair that thing. They're not building a new bomb. They're building from that shell. They're modifying it. Yeah. Which I actually just, plays a significant difference in, in the book, actually. Okay. I just would have appreciated an explanation because I was confused about that. Okay. I mean, what, you needed one more cutscene, basically, where they bring the bomb to the Ukraine? Yeah. So it's clear that it's not the different bomb that they're working on? I needed a scene where the leadership is like, we have a bomb, but it's not working, so we're going to jury-rig it to build one of our own that won't be as good, but will still work. That's what I wanted. And by the way, and the movie makes this mistake too, there's no the Ukraine. It's just Ukraine. Yeah. Okay. We see the bomb makers working on the bomb. You'll see a vending machine there that they joke about for some odd reason. So Jack is with Kathy, but then his phone rings. And he's like, is this a test? He's like, yes, but go ahead and answer. They found out that Cabot is uh, sending him to Ukraine and has a memory card that he needs to have uh, Clark see. And we never see if he actually goes back in, if he goes straight to Ukraine. Presumably he goes back in. This whole bit was breach again. (laughs) It was basically right out of that. Kind of, yeah. I mean, it came out the same year. Oh, hmm. no, no. Breach, no, this is the year that Breach happened. Breach came out in 2007. So it's five years later. Ryan is with Clark on a, some sort of boat. They're basically using a rubber boat to infiltrate this facility. And Jack Ryan comes off as a total, well, maybe not a total wimp, but a wimp. He's like, right. you don't expect me to actually do anything, do you? Okay, and- you're being, I think, a little harsh. One... <laughs> At least in the you know with the timeline of the movies, we don't know how long he was a marine for. Cabot says oh, you can take care of yourself, but he hasn't done that in who knows how long. Well, and- actually, in in the movies, in the Hunt for Red October, yeah, Greer does go over a, a brief history of of what happened to Jack. You know that he was right, uh, yeah. a Naval Academy grad, went marine. Oh, that's right. Spent like. Uh, his first you no know, two years of you know, training whatever and then like in his third year that's when he had the helicopter accident so uh, he didn't really see a lot of action anyways no okay. i mean but i mean he, he would have some type of infantry training at some point um yeah. i mean he obviously knew how to handle a, a weapon mm-hmm. kind of what zach was talking about i mean one of the whole reoccurring things um <laughs> you know, with jack ryan in, in the movies I'm at just least, an analyst. Is, yeah you can almost make a drinking game out of it every time uh-huh. he says but i'm just an analyst and they, I mean, it I think only they happens about it. once per movie really <laughs> Well, I yes. think they even do it in the, the Jack show. Ryan series on oh, Amazon. Yeah. I'm just an analyst. I can't go to Yemen. Yes, I understand. I've seen the previous movies as well. I was paying attention. But Where in the previous you? movies, he says it once, and yeah. then they're like, get in there. And he goes and he gets in there, and he gets the job done. 
In this scene, he just keeps bringing it up. No, he brings it up once in like that scene inside the boat. In that whole scene, yes, he's I can't do this. I'm, I write reports, so I write a report about it. But it, like he's after that scene, he's he doesn't want. Well, like we'll get to it where he doesn't want to shoot the guy. That doesn't mean he's being a wimp. He just doesn't want to cause any collateral collateral damage. In my opinion, in this scene. He comes off as wimpy more than previous Jack Ryan's, which leads me to my question is in this new reboot, have the previous movies been erased? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. absolutely. Yes. Otherwise he'd be the like assistant director of, uh, Oh, that's true. And he's very, yeah, he'd, yeah. he'd be the yeah, deputy no, this, director of this is like, you know, this is a James Bond reboot before Casino Royale, basically. And it's also a prequel. Does it say maybe those things will happen, but yeah, exactly. it's, it's pretty much that. Yeah. Get on the dinghy. Clark asks how the dinner was because he was like, I was kind of actually looking forward to going to that, which makes me wonder, how did Clark get tickets to that? Cabot may have owed him a favor or two. Uh, probably, <laughs> all right, all right. Clark leaves him with a gun to guard the. Clark uses this, like a very cold spray to go through a fence, which I thought was pretty cool. And then he goes in the building. He finds the scientists dead. Yeah, so they're too late. Clark is looking around. He sees the remains of a box. He grabs a radiation badge but gets caught by the Ukrainian guards. I like this move where he's, he's like, keeps distracting him with a flashlight. And as they tell him to put down the flashlight, he, he reaches in and grabs a gun and gets right up on them. Yeah. It's a very interesting move. It seems like the kind of thing that might be real. It sure looked hey, real hey. to me, but who knows? I don't know. These okay. Ukrainian guys are clearly not like special forces. No, they're, they're, they're just clear. Yeah. Right. So Ryan also gets a drop on them behind them, but doesn't want, like Clark shouting to shoot, he's, but he doesn't want to shoot them because he doesn't want to collapse. Like they're just literally guards doing their their jobs. They're not like, you know, they're not part of the plot at all. So yeah, don't shoot right. them. Yeah, Jack values human life unlike John Clark. <laughs> but yeah, so they- I wouldn't you know, say that. <laughs> get the drop on them, tie them up, grab their shoes so they can't come after them. Yes, this was in Why the Last Man. If anyone has seen Why the Last Man, there's a part where they knock out some guards and take their shoes to make them harder to follow. Yeah. Well, plus, it's very cold. Oh, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, what if they get frostbite on their feet? It's an acceptable loss, yeah. (laughs) You can live without a few toes. But I I do want to mention, though, because we had talked about this a little bit in Clear and Present Danger about actors who have played John Clark. And yeah. oh, yeah. I think we we all agreed that you know William Defoe, you know weird guy, weird looking guy, weird looking um, guy, yeah, yeah. But you know played that part very well. I also think Lee Schreiber did a great job playing mm-hmm. playing Clark. I could see him very easily playing that role. Yeah, he was fine, I guess. I mean, yeah. John Clark's just a special secret agent guy. It's not like he has a big Oscar scene where he has to cry or anything. We find out that apparently the object that they were moving was heavy, radioactive, and about the size of a fridge. The white supremacists making his big speech about fascism. He says Nazism is an airborne virus. Oh boy, could not be more relevant. So many things that I could yeah. just go on. Statement, but he says that Hitler was dumb, and not for the usual reasons, but because he tried to fight the U.S. and Russia. That's not too smart. Instead, you try to get Russia and the U.S. to fight each other. But then the question is, how do you get them to fight each other without blowing up the entire world? And they don't seem to have an answer to that. I guess it depends on what some of those border nations in the in the you know the Slavic Baltics. Those would you know be right on the edge of uh, edge of the radiation zone. But everyone else in Europe would be fine. It'd be the smartest man on the sender. <laughs> yeah, and I mean not to get too into it, but I thought I like when I was listening to this, I was very like, all right, interesting how that sort of played out today, where it's more actually that Russia is using white supremacists or supporting them via whatever methods to 
get us to fight within ourselves. That's true. Yeah. So similar, but not quite the same. We're basically on to Baltimore now. Yep. They load up the bomb disguised as a vending machine. Yep. And they bring it to the stadium right next to the other vending machines. What you remember is vending machines that sold packs of cigarettes. Mm. <laughs> it is dated, yes. But I will say that this vending machine had a very obvious cable or like electrical cord running okay, through it. If you're not looking for that. Well, even if you were, it doesn't exactly scream yeah, that it's a bomb. No, it just, uh, yeah. It was also in a loading dock and it was put in like right before the game. So, I mean, that, it's I mean, not yes, like it was going to sit there for a, a few weeks. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, like Christian said, it was more for the audience so that we get what is going on. So yeah. I have a question for you guys. Are yeah. you ready for some football? <laughs> so, wait, this is Baltimore. What's the Baltimore stadium called? I forget it now. I don't, I don't know what it's called, but I know that the people the, playing were not right? the Ravens. No, no. They it were, was weirdly Chicago and Florida. Why yeah. are they playing in Baltimore? Is this like a... Because it's supposed to be the Super Bowl. Because uh, um, in the yeah. yeah in the book it the Super Bowl is actually taking place in Denver. It's like the Minnesota Vikings were were one team. And I'm trying to remember who the other ones were, but it's not like you're ever going to see the the Dolphins and the Bears in the Super Bowl anytime soon. <laughs> I also like that there was Florida and Chicago, but they were dressed like the Steelers and the Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> Kinda, yeah. I actually well, really liked the national anthem with more badass lyrics. So that's the thing, like. Other movies I've seen where they ha- they do a national anthem, I feel like they never do the actual lyrics. They usually one of the other verses. I don't know why. Is there like some sort of law against having the Star Spangled Banner in movies? I was kind of wondering that because it was like it was was weird that they weren't using you know the common you know, pregame yeah. national anthem. I am pretty sure that in the Dark Knight Rises, it's the national anthem with the lyrics we know and love. We will we'll fact check that. Uh, you might be right. Yeah, uh, or but, they only just say the home of the brave part. And that's the part that stays the same throughout all the verses. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So I liked all the football stuff. And yeah, of course, it's the Super Bowl because the president's there. Yeah, yeah, that's that makes the most sense. Now that it clicks, like they call him, you know, the nation's number one football fan. So maybe he just really likes football and goes to every game that's in the Baltimore stadium that we do not remember the name of. Oh my God. Secret service <laughs> nightmare. Yeah. I can't imagine doing that now. Just like trying to get all the security in line for getting a president to a football game uh, without like a glass box around him. Basically they do things like they throw out the first pitch at nationals games. It is really? tough though. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You did have president Bush throw out. I think it was the first in game three of the World One Series. The World Series. Uh, uh, in, well, it was in, in um, 2001 because they were oh. playing. It was the Arizona Diamondbacks in the, in the Mets, I think. And the, yeah, that was the whole big thing of, of him coming out and, and throwing the first pitch. Was that post 9 yeah. 11 then? That's why it was such a big Oh, yeah. Game. No, it was definitely uh, post 9 11. Yeah. It was right after, in fact. So Ryan is trying to get through to Cabot on his cell phone. And it's a flip phone that you pull the. Antenna. Up. Oh, the antenna. Yeah, it's yeah. nice. And I, I had pad. that phone. I actually had that phone. <laughs> I like this here because it's like, yeah, if you're at a game and everyone's shouting and screaming, of course, you're not going to be able to hear. So I like that Brian kept breaking up. So he's trying to say that the bomb is in play. And then it's, you know, it's at Baltimore. It's in, and of course, once he like finally gets through that, that it's in Baltimore and that he's going down to the ducks, Cabot like looks around and realizes. And it's basically the most tense football moment in a non-sports film since The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, there's a musical sting on Baltimore, and then there's yeah. a lot of shots of the crowd, people yeah. you know who are doomed to die. Yep. 
So that was scary. It also reminded me of Triple X again. <laughs> Why? Yeah. It's everybody in Prague walking oh, around. Oh, all right. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> I thought it was really neat and, and kind of accurate when Cabot yells out the name of, I'm assuming, the agent who's in charge of the Secret Service detail. Yep. And without hesitation, they're like, and we're out. <laughs> yep. And he's just grabbing him and going. And now I'm I thinking personally, as a fan, if, if I'm there and I'm seeing them take the president out, I'm going for the act. Yeah, I was there's something shocked. bad about to go down. <laughs> I was shocked that they just sort of like they were a little confused, and then like even see the players like, okay, what's going on? All right, we're gonna keep playing. It's like really, they just pulled the president out of there. It's not like he just made an you know excuse and leaves. Like, oh, we have to go by. It's like no, Secret Service grabbed him and like had him duck as he's going out. Like, yeah, and they they do the thing to where they just like grab him and like almost like baby toss him into the car. <laughs> like, yeah. Go. I liked all this. I will say if it were a different movie, I could totally see someone on the internet being like, the president left the stadium just in time to save uh. his life before it blew up. What did uh. he know? When did he know it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Uh, it was a false flag. Oh, no, no. I mean, yes. Yes, it was. It was. <laughs> but not in the way they probably mean it. No. I was glad that they didn't do the shot of just the entire stadium exploding. I was a little disappointed that we didn't actually see the bomb go off in any way, shape, or form. But I guess if the post 9 11 environment made it harder for them to do it, then. But I like how they did it, where you see Kathy at the hospital and you just see like the big flash of light and explosion. You see the wave of, you know, the 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 shockwave. Thank you. Shockwave hit both the car the president's in and the chopper that uh, Jack is in. Mm-hmm. And you see the mushroom cloud, yeah. Though I do wonder if you would have a mushroom cloud from a small bomb like that. Oh, you absolutely would. You would? Okay. You okay. absolutely would. So a bunch of military choppers find the president. We see that the president's okay, but Cabot is injured. Some aides in Russia wake up Nemirov, tell him about the explosion. He, you know, They want to craft a you know, message of denial, and he adds, and also sympathy. But you know, also just put the army on alert just in case. A couple of things here. The Marines who rescue the president are wearing radiation suits, which uh-huh. I feel like they probably should have. I mean, at this point, you're you're trying to get the president out as quick as you can. You don't. I, I get it. But I also feel like in a movie, uh, whatever, Ryan's environment is blue. Oh, God, here we go. So the nuke again. made it blue. Um, <laughs> but also when the chopper crashed, you yeah. can see a dummy in uh-huh. the pilot seat or maybe oh, the passenger seat uh-huh. yeah it's like a dead body like flopping out of it which i thought was pretty effective yeah that would have been the co-pilot seat probably yeah. did you see it too lance you know what i'm talking i did about? see it i did ah, see it didn't catch it all right this is what ryan what over two in helicopter rides was he a yeah, video you- game character <laughs> yeah you can kind of see where he gets his fear of flying from uh, you know, I literally never connected that. Wasn't he okay with it in Clear and Present Danger? He's over it by the end of Red October. Oh, okay. I just said more things about the nuke. They say that oh, yeah. the fallout is spreading, but the device is small. It only created a 150-yard crater, so it's even smaller than the little boy, which was dropped on Hiroshima. Okay. It's like a homemade one, in other words. Right, right. You know from the beginning, uh, when it was put on um, a fighter bomber, that you know it's not supposed to be... You know, a city killer. It's it's just a tactical nuke. A city Go killer. Ahead. I like that. That's what your your big ones are. Your ICBMs or your your uh, B fifty two type mm-hmm. type nukes. Your Doctor Strange love riding ah, yeah. riding into the <laughs> impact zone. That made sense when they were talking about you know it 
and plus, you know, we've already talked about, you know, how it it's, was sitting around the desert. It's mm-hmm. um, the, the plutonium is you know, degraded over for a while, um, which I like that one part of the scene when when the, the people first find it and the guy sticks his hand in the bomb. It's like, oh, it's warm. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's like, well, it's like, yeah, we didn't talk about that, but yeah, that that was a mistake. Well, yeah. This isn't going to turn out well for you. No. <laughs> Wakes up in the helicopter. And he does this amazing slide slash jump off of the top of it. I was like, wow, that is like at least six feet in the air. And you just see him crumple off of it. Everyone else is dead. Yeah, the pilot's dead. We also get to see the president get to Air Force One. And Cabot is not on the plane. Jack's trying to find him. On Air Force One, they think it is the Russians. The president doesn't know where Cabot is. There is high tensions, shall we say, in the plane. Absolutely, there is. So my question is, what happened to Cabot? Did they explain that? Well, he I, got knocked out in the blast. He was the only one of the... Uh, he's not even on the uh, account. What What is that called? Chief convoy? No, like and the president's like inner circle. Cabinet? Yeah, his cabinet. Thank you. Yeah. Like, like I guess director is not even on the cabinet. So that's why he like he was there with him. But he was the only one who was there. But he's basically there per like yeah, the cabinet's in, you know, connection to intelligence. So they have zero intelligence going to, into this. So they're ready to make some rash decisions. Yeah, so meanwhile, they have an insider, like one of the neo-Nazi conspirators, is whipping yep. up the Russian military. Which More than just whipping him up. But he's, he's yeah. Like, yeah, basically launching what looks like an attack, which I actually appreciate because I thought just this one event wouldn't be enough to like push yeah. them into oh, yeah. war. But once you have these more conspirators moving yep. things along, then their plan is a little bit more plausible, though it still doesn't make sense. I still don't understand why... You would want to set off a nuclear war intentionally. To be the Lord of the Ashes, basically, as you said. To go back to one thing, Cabot wouldn't necessarily be part of the cabinet, say that fast no. three times. Um, <laughs> what he most likely would have been part of, because you know, remember, this is really like pre 9 11. Right. You no, know, Home Secretary of Homeland Defense didn't exist. Right. The Office of you know, Director of National Intelligence didn't exist. Oh, yeah. uh, so, so Cabot being basically the, the CIA head, I think it was what he was in the movie. Yeah, he was director. Uh, he most likely would have been part of what's called the National Command Authority. You know, it makes sense that he would that he would have been there had he been non-injured, non-dying, right, uh, and, and on the plane. So I also think because we find out that they're longtime friends, so it's like when you know JFK was president, and the role of Attorney General became a much much closer role because it was RFK, right? So, you know, if you're good friends with the person who is the CIA director, you appoint a CIA director you're gonna bring them in closer than if you it was just uh, you know an appointee that you don't really know well part of the way that the uh, russian w- w- the rogue russian general whips up his troops is by saying that an uh, american icbm hit moscow but they haven't heard about it yet get ready and high alert we're gonna start world war three yeah that <laughs> yeah, seems we're, plausible we're going to go after you know a carry that's in the north sea mm-hmm. uh so i mean that that kind of made sense if the carrier was in the north sea there's bomber bases there near but I also had a lot of issues with that whole scene. Well, we'll ah. get to it. First, we get Jack <laughs> getting to the radiation uh, checkpoint. They have men, you know, trying to get to the epicenter, but they can't get close enough. They're like, they're on the, you know, re- edge of where, you know, the where their suits can protect them. Yeah, it's like Chernobyl. They use a robot instead. I liked the captain here. She oh, yeah. didn't take any shit off of anybody, including mm-hmm. Jack Ryan. And he says, I need to know where it came from, but I'll settle for where it didn't come from. That's good. Yeah, I mean, you can. Have that was good. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. And so he's also trying, like, contacting his his analyst buddy, who I don't know if he ever have actually has a name, but he's trying to look for the signer for the crate, and he also checks on Kathy's hospital, which apparently she works at Baltimore. 
I don't know where to, where to put this. So I'm just like someone in D.C. dating someone in Baltimore. That's a long way away for three dates. Well, we don't know if he lives in D.C. He only works there. Well, he works in Langley, really. So it's even further. Well, he could live in like northern Silver Spring. I guess. And just yeah. have kind of a long commute. A long drive. Like for three dates, I feel like that's a unless yeah. When I thought it was like, you know, I'm here. I've only been to Baltimore. I've been here for what, however many years. I've only been to Baltimore once. It does make more sense if they are married with two kids. Yeah. If you're dating Bridget Moynihan, you're going to drive an hour to get there. Fair enough. (laughs) I will admit I hadn't really thought of it. it, It's not like you just. They just met on like plenty of fish or, or something like that. <laughs> Jack is trying to find Cabot. Radiation analysis have something. The plutonium, they identified where it came from. It's not Russian. It actually came from the US. And they can even identify which batch of it, which year, etc. So does this mean that the plutonium the Israelis had came from the United States? Yeah. Why? That was yes. a little bit unclear. <laughs> no, that made sense. Does it though? <laughs> I mean, like, they, they, I, like, I, I don't know. Like, I know Israeli history, but I don't recall the U.S. ever giving them plutonium. Well, they, they, okay, they do go on to explain it, but we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we have a little stop over in Air Force One where tensions are continuing to remain high, and mm. Jack is at the hospital, finds Cabot, who is just barely alive, and like his last words are, "Talk to Spinnaker." It's like another death scene of a father figure for Jack Ryan in a hospital. Uh, oh, yeah. So Jack goes to steal a truck to go try to get somewhere, immediately crashes it. Well, he's like in hell. Everything's on yeah. fire. Uh, yeah. This is part is pretty wild. As he's trying to get this car started, he gets a message from Spinnaker. Ryan says, you know, the plutonium was, was from the U.S. How is this possible? The message comes, well, it was stolen or something like that. And then yeah. then Spinnaker comes back and says, well, Ryan is like, well, who stole it? And it was like, you did. And then gave it to Israel. That's kind of where they were explaining right, so how. See where you, you thought it was unclear, Zach. It yeah. was unclear. It remains unclear. Also, oh, yeah. I th- did we skip over the attack on the carrier? Oh, yeah. I think we did. Yeah, yes, we, did. we did. Really briefly, it wouldn't be a Tom Clancy movie without some <laughs> ships and airplanes. Yep. Yep. The Russians attack an American carrier. They blow up the BGM control tower. 74. Yeah, it was pretty wild. And I feel like if this happened in real life, uh, it would be a nuclear war because that's a pretty major attack. Yeah, no, it wouldn't uh, necessarily. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about this scene for a second. Buckle in, folks. I'm listening. Buckle in, <laughs> um, especially since obviously tensions are now high. I think they've gone up already, like DefCon three, DefCon two. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a significant amount of uh, at the time probably F-14s that are up in the air flying uh, combat air patrols. At least a good. 50 to 75 miles out from the carrier. Just going to have uh, a whole bunch of support ships with it. And even though, granted, the Russian planes coming in uh, were probably, you know, flying close close to the deck, whatever, they would have been intercepted probably a lot further out, especially if it's just one squadron. So there's mm-hmm. a good chance that, you know, those missiles wouldn't have even gotten uh, a chance to have been fired. And then if they had, uh, with all those support ships, uh, the ones that would have managed to leak through uh, would have been taken down which they kind of showed in the movie with the automated defense system called SeaWiz. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that was the Gatling gun that you saw firing a whole bunch of. Yeah, uh, that part was around. great. That part was great. Mm-hmm. Oh, was that part like, was that was great. It's um, like the Expanse. If any of you have seen the Expanse, <laughs> yes, they use those a lot. It never gets old. <laughs> in the book, actually, it wasn't a carrier, but to Zach's point, uh, it was a submarine because it can't uh, be Tom Clancy without submarines. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> 
<laughs> so basically, Lance, your point is this would never have happened because the U.S. is not that vulnerable. U.S. carriers been, are not that vulnerable. It would have been highly unlikely. Yeah. Very highly unlikely. That's good. Also, I wanted to mention on Air Force One is another that guy, the final oh. that guy of the movie. Another guy who always plays a douchebag, and he's Dr. Kelso on the scrub. I was going to bring up Dr. Kelso, Bob Kelso. Yeah. <laughs> they actually say that they've come up with a non-nuclear response. So they're going to attack the base where those planes came from, F-16s and smart bombs. As this is happening, the Russians are looking for their own response. Yeah, so basically it's escalating, but it's not going nuclear. Not it's yet. not a I whole mean, lot better. No. There's a part where Jack calls them, and Bruce McGill, I don't remember his <laughs> yep. character name, calls him the Nemirov apologist, <laughs> which I actually thought the same thing earlier, because mm, Jack yeah. really goes to the mat for Nemirov a lot. And I understand it's not because of any personal like for him, but it's it still he, comes off that He did his research, way. and he, didn't think, and he thinks he knows what he knows, and he's right. Yeah, but Bruce hangs up on him and says, yep. I don't want to listen to you. Yeah. <laughs> and also the president finds out that Cabot died and is understandably you know, sad about that. We go to Clark back in the desert, which we have not seen in a while. <laughs> go on desert. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, and uh, we find out the guy who, you know, very smartly stuck his hand inside the bomb and said, it's warm, now has radiation poisoning. Just like Chernobyl. We get a general and a few other people, you know, saying, telling the president they need to initiate a snap count, which they'll basically take out most of their nuclear weapons and leave a couple hundred. So apparently that's acceptable losses. Hmm. Not to the Russians, it wouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not even remotely close. The president gives the order and the analysts find payments to Olsen from, a, from Dressler, who we actually never knew what his name was, but he's the you know, head of the uh, white uh, supremacists. Seemingly, Jack Superior says he wants Jack out of there. Jack's like, no, I think there's someone here. I'm at the docks, and let me look around. So he goes around. He gets choked from behind by the you know white nationalist uh, henchman. Appreciate like the fight. Jack got out of it in a believable way without having too much training. Well, I mean, other than you know his military history, but not presumably not using that in a very long time. Yeah, he's still maintaining his image as like just a guy who works a desk yeah. and writes reports. And so he like knocks him out with this giant tool and then chokes him with a chain and is like, you know, where is Dressler? Where is Dressler? You where know, are the mean, gr- there's the where um, are the other drugs going? Yeah, that was that. That's what he was asking. <laughs> yeah, and the cops get to him, and I thought that he was going to get in trouble with the cops, but but apparently, like one of them is like, "Are you Jack Ryan? Are you Jack Ryan?" And he's like, "They told me you could have some help. So I need to get to the Pentagon. Well, I can help with that." He really covers a lot of distance. Yeah, right? Yeah, that's like, well, actually, in this trap, like, all this chaos, two hours to get from Baltimore to, to the to Pentagon, probably. But he flew by helicopter. Oh, he that's right. By... I forgot the helicopter. Thank you. Yeah, it so, was a state police helicopter. That's right. Thank you for that, Lance. One for two here. So he did not crash this helicopter. I also wouldn't be surprised, given this is probably only hours after the detonation in yeah. Baltimore, if everyone yeah. went home like on 9-11, uh, and they just cleared true. the streets. That's true, yeah. I also wanted to point out while I have the floor, <laughs> there's various shots of the militaries brandishing their weapons, yep. and there's a part where a couple of missiles are locked into position, and they look like penises. I mean, like, more than most missiles. <laughs> they look like okay. a rounded top All right. and, like, a long shaft. You guys uh, know what I'm talking about? I do not uh, remember this shot, but all I'm thinking of is the second Austin Powers movie I, now that you've said that. Well, there yeah. you go. I do know what you're talking about, but at the same time, I 
did not see penis. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, Zach. It's okay. <laughs> So the Russians see that snap count is in play. They make attempts to shoot down the stealth bombers that are coming after them. And I, I like simultaneously both Russian President Nemirov and President Fowler are brought the launch codes and the footballs. Yeah, they're basically like about to launch. Yeah. So Jack is still trying to get through to the president. His analyst buddy says, no way, they're, they're in snap count. There's no way through. I was like, okay. So he finally gets to the Pentagon. His badge, or rather... Habit's badge is not letting him badge in. Mm-hmm. It's not working. It is his minor confrontation with the guard, who is, I mean, granted, I am on the guard side. He's like, we just had a major attack, and there's some guy who's trying to get into the Pentagon, and his badge is not working. Of course, I'm going to be suspicious. I want to talk about the badge for a second, just because okay. it's one of the technicalities that, that kind of bug me. And I'm trying to remember back from when <laughs> okay. I was there. That is what you know the Pentagon badges used to look like back okay. when, when they used those. But if you look at Cabot's picture on the yeah. badge, it has a diagonal red stripe background, okay. um, uh-huh. which, if I'm remembering correctly, meant that that person holding that type of background had an interim uh, secret clearance, huh. uh, which is definitely something the director of Central he Intelligence would not Agency have that. He would absolutely have would wanted. not have that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, 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 I'm betting that it's probably me. they just found, like, they saw a picture of one, probably someone who maybe just had an interim, and they just copied it, and then said, okay, that's good enough. No one's really going to notice this detail, except for right. except for everybody that worked at the Pentagon, all 27,000-some-odd people, probably. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> the badge finally works. He just bursts through, and he finds a general. You know, he says he's trying to get a message sent on the hotline. He gives this whole big speech, like, the, gen- like the general, like, walks away from it, and he gives this whole big speech about how... You know, you're not just dooming me. If you don't let me send this message, you're dooming not just me, but my, your family, my family, everyone's families. And, you know, my job is to get the, you know, the intel, the right people, the right intelligence. If, if I don't, the world's going to end. Is this to the American guy? Yeah, to the this general. Is a, this is to the general, who, if they were in the NMCC, yep. the Air Force general was probably, I forget what the exact title is off the top of my head, but he would have been charged because you have operations and intelligence in the NMCC. And as a one star, I could easily see him being one of those two, most likely the DDO. It's funny you say a one star. It reminds me of the Space Force show uh, with Steve. <laughs> Brown. I don't know if any of you guys watched it. I, saw but I did. Episodes. Yeah. Well, there's a one star general who's treated like an assistant. Oh, yeah, that's it. right. <laughs> yeah, I find very star. amusing. To a four star, which at the Pentagon, yeah. The, the general <laughs> had a starter star, as I heard. Uh, three-star call at once. <laughs> he gives this big speech, which apparently sways the general. Nemirov is activating the missile regiments. President is doing the ID check and even like has the guy who, uh, his secretary of state, who's the most resistant to any sort of attack, is like the only one left, apparently, because another guy had a heart attack. So he's the only one left who actually has the two, it can provide the two-man authorization. Gives the order to strike, but as soon as he does, there's activity on the hotline, and they're like, wait, what? Nemirov's talking? No, someone's talking to the Kremlin. Yeah, basically moving past the president. Right, or around. Yeah, also somewhere, I forgot to mention this, but I wanted to say it now. At some point, they go to DEFCON 2, and I was like, wait a minute, why are they going from DEFCON 1 to DEFCON 2? Shouldn't they be going reverse? But then I was like, oh, right, they only went to DEFCON 1 in the exercise. Yep. Not in real life. (laughs) So I did appreciate that the exercise in the beginning did show us what all the steps were so that we know the stakes when it actually happens. Yeah, it's right. set off. Yeah. Well done. Yep. We find that Jack is sending a message to Nemirov saying that they know that their weapon is not Russian. 
Yeah. He gives the information about Dressler. <laughs> he explains the plot and he yep. appeals to Russian goodwill. Yep. He says, we are Both not warmongers. Yeah. 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 Don't be played. But you also see you know, the older guy and just kind of like lurking oh, yeah. in the background. Yeah, he oh. he's not very vocal. He's not like one of the generals not going, Oh no, they're yeah. lying to us or this, exactly. this, and this. He's no, just so like he, walking walks behind him and just like gently whispers, you know, let let let's hear him out. Yeah, <laughs> you know, well, what's the harm if we listen to a little more or something like that? Right. The president is trying to cut off access and he really says, We can't cut him off. That's the whole point of the hotline. You know, as he's sending his last message, Ryan gets cut off, and it's thirty seconds to the launch. When Nevermorov stops, starts replying, he says that the Russian forces are standing down. If you match my moves, I propose we have a, fa- a you know a phased mutual stand down lasting five hours. They also stand down. You know the d- doomsday clock back from you know thirty seconds. Yeah, that's by the bulletin of the atomic scientists. It's yeah. not by the government. <laughs> no. But yeah, they go back to DEFCON three and basically crisis averted. Yeah, Jack finds Kathy in the hospital. They kiss. And we go fast forward to the Kremlin, where and the president is there. And we get, if I had a favorite song in opera, this would probably be one of them, Nessendorma, I believe from uh, Turandot. It's a music montage. Yeah, so we get a montage of basically all of the white supremacists getting hunted down. Olsen is killed by Clark. The rogue Russian general is hunted down by probably FSB. We don't actually know who these people are. And we get Dressler on the run. He sends his assistant out to go turn on the car because he's like, all right. And like, as soon as he was like, oh, that car is going to explode. And then turn the key. Doesn't explode. I was very surprised. So Dressler gets in, presses the lighter button. And as it heats up, the car explodes. And I went, when I say explode, I mean like four explosions happened with this car. Yeah. yeah, it's a good thing that he smokes or that plan wouldn't have worked. The president and Nemirov are signing papers, mutual agreements. But yeah, I really th- I thought this was well done. And I mean, not just because Nessun Dorma is also used in one of my favorite Mission Impossibles, Rogue Nation, over action scene as well. But I mean, also just, it's a good song. And I've seen Turandot and I have many objections to most of Turandot because it's a it's set in a quasi mystical Chinese you know setting, but but, you know, written by an Italian and played by mm. white actors. So it's orientalist. <laughs> yeah, it's problematic, but the music is great. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> so I, I, I refuse to watch Turandot, but I will listen to Ness and Dorma. Yeah, it, it, all yeah. Ends, it all ends with... Uh, At the White House. Almost, yeah, with Jack and Kathy outside the White House on a picnic blanket, watching yep. it on like their TV phone <laughs> with an antenna. As uh, Nemirov and the president are, are making a speech. And as they're, you know, in, watching it, Grushkov approaches Jack and Kathy, reveals that he is Spinnaker. So he was uh, Cabot's source inside the Kremlin. Yeah, and he also knows that they're engaged, even though they didn't even know they were engaged until that day, because that's how smart he is. (laughs) And with that, the movie ends. Okay, so they got engaged after three dates and one crisis. Eh? Kind of put together, because it's also, you know, when all this is going down is like in like the January, February time frame. And when uh, they're laying out, been, yeah. when they're laying out on the lawn, it's it's definitely much you know, warmer, at, at oh, least spring or whatever. Um, and you also don't just throw um, a nuclear arms reduction treaty together in twenty four <laughs> hours. That's true. Um, I I can see that taking you know a couple months to to put yeah. together and and so on. And also, you so know, there forth. is something to be said like 
times of high tension and stress and traumatic events do bring people closer together. That is true. Uh, is that, that a is reference true. to a certain Keanu Reeves movie, Christian? Actually, no. Wait, which movie are, are you talking about? I'm talking about Speed. Oh. I didn't even think about that, but maybe wow. subconsciously. All right, so now it is time for Spy Fact versus Fiction. All right. I have a have little to... bit. All right, you can go first. Okay, so did Israel ever consider using nuclear weapons from Haaretz? Written by Yossi Melman, he says, foreign... Correspondents speculated that Israel was on the verge of using nuclear weapons because of things like Golda Meir saying she had a crazy idea and Moshe Dayan speaking of the possibility that the third temple, meaning the country, might be destroyed. As most people who follow the issue know, Israel's status as a nuclear power has never been officially determined. It is believed that in October 1973, they had the means to deliver nuclear weapons. French-made Mirage, U.S.-made Phantom aircraft, and the Jericho missile. Although there have been rumors that they were prepared to use them, there's no actual indication that they were getting ready to, let alone putting them on planes and flying them around. And then also I had a little bit about the DEFCON system. You go from five all the way down to one. And one is nuclear war is imminent or has already started. And then finally, on IMDb Trivia, the spray can that John Clark used to cut through the chain link fence is supposed to be a real-life CAA chemical spray known as Ice Piss. But when asked if a real can of Ice Piss could be acquired for the scene, the technical advisor said, I don't want to go to prison. (laughs) Okay. So draw your own conclusions from that. Interesting. Interesting. All right. So a few things. So. When uh, Jack is making his call to Kathy on the plane, he said, you know, it's part of the START treaty that you know that we get to inspect their weapons and vice versa. So that mm-hmm. was the START 1, or Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty. And this my information is from Wikipedia. It was a bilateral treaty between the United States and the Soviet Union on the reduction and limitation of strategic offensive arms. It was signed on July 31st, 1991. So that's what the START nice. treaty was, because I was like, all right, I'm a little curious. Like, he mentioned that offhandedly. I was like, oh, okay, I'm curious. We've got a little bit about the hotline, which people usually think it's, oh, it's some sort of red telephone or something. It's probably shown like in advertising or like campaigns, a red telephone that's in the hotline to Moscow. In actuality, it's much more like what's portrayed in this movie here, where it's all text. There's it's not video. It's not audio. It's all text. Mm -hmm. The idea was put forward before the Russian Missile Crisis in about 1960, but after the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962, the hotline was made a priority, uh, especially since, you know, during the standoff, official diplomatic messages typically took about six hours to deliver. There have been various types, including the first one was the teletype, which used, you know, telegraph circuits to go between Moscow and uh, D.C., Eventually, start, they started using satellite, and is, and then finally, it actually is on a dedicated computer network that links uh, Moscow and Washington, D.C. via email. Dang it, I thought about doing the hotline, but then I <laughs> forgot. And also, one of the previous hotlines was for a brief period displayed in the Spy Museum on loan from the National Cryptologic Museum, which is where, by the time of the release, they may or may not be reopened after their renovation, hopefully, because I would love to go back. Nice. I've also got, so when they talk about snap count is, was part of the single integrated operations plan, which was the U.S.'s general plan for nuclear war in place from 1961 to 2003. It gave the president a range of targeting options and described launch procedures and targets set against nuclear weapons, which would be launched. Yes. Oh, giving a politician discretion over targets. Yep. I'm sure that would work out great. <laughs> 
But yeah, so that is what snap count is. It, oh, you're that, not yeah. talking about ju just any politician, though. I mean, it, it is oh, the yeah. president of the United States. It's not like he'd be like, oh, I want to I want to hit that target. I want to hit that target. Uh, you know, screw these guys. So we're going to hit them, too. <laughs> no, it, it it's like like the name says, it, it's a plan. There's different scenarios for, for different things. Which we got to see a little bit. We have, you know, like them giving, you know, non-nuclear options and stuff like that. Right. So, Lance, can you briefly <laughs> discuss some of the biggest changes between the book and the movie? Oh, that you don't oh my like? God. I don't know where to start. There's so many. Well, for one, you know, the most glaring is obviously in the book, Jack is not just, just a an random analyst that's, reports. that's downstairs. Right. No. At, at this point, you know, continuing on uh, with the whole set, at this point, uh, he's the, the deputy director of intelligence. Cabot is uh, a political appointee by by Fowler, uh, who okay. in the the two things with him in the movie is one he's married, uh, and huh. two that he's you know, he still comes out at the end, you know, pretty strong. In the book, uh, he's a widower, and he's actually having an affair with uh, a woman named uh, Elizabeth Elliot, uh, who she is actually the the national security advisor, not the douchey guy. Oh, um, and yeah. the thing and huh. she actually hates ryan uh, oh. she spends most of her time trying to discredit ryan and all kinds of things and actually there's this really great part in the book where they're at some type of of gallo or whatever and elliot was one of kathy ryan's professors in college oh. and there's a whole exchange where basically kathy in her own delicate way uh basically calls her a slut <laughs> and it just goes downhill from there zach was was right they were arab nationalists uh not neo-nazis it is the super bowl but again it's in denver not <laughs> not mm -hmm. baltimore bomb uh doesn't detonate fully because there was an accident uh from a german scientist actually trying to to fix it oh but in true typical terrorist fashion they they killed the doctor before he's got a chance to tell them that the bomb's probably not going to work uh but the big thing at the end is Fowler uh, actually has a nervous breakdown. Oh. It's actually you know, removed from office. The vice president takes over, uh, who becomes the president in the next you know, set of books, uh, until he also dies. And then, uh, and then yeah, Ryan president. Becomes, becomes president. Okay, now it's time for our favorite quotes. Lance is our guest. Would you like to go first? <sighs> no. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding and i already kind of mentioned it in the beginning when, when cabot and ryan are walking through the halls of of either the capitol building or or somewhere he tells ryan it's okay to say that i don't know mm -hmm. uh, i i just from uh, an intelligence background i just really appreciated that line so much it felt very so, authentic yeah oh yeah definitely so I'll, I'll use that as my favorite line all right i've got the entire line for that because it's one of my favorite quotes it's you're about to breathe air that's way over your pay grade, so listen up. You're going to be asked for analysis and advice, so be goddamn sure you know what you're talking about before you give it. Don't be afraid to say you don't know. Choose your words carefully. Words have a habit of being turned into policy. Mm, and they yep. do. All right, so my other favorite quotes, I've got, what kind of emergency does a historian have? <laughs> mm. Habits of the lines, you know, when I asked for your advice, I didn't mean you should actually speak. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's the top yeah. one in IMDb as well. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be my second favorite one. Cap's asking, what's the t-shirt say? I am bomb technician. If you see me running, try to catch up. <laughs> yeah, very bomb tech humor. <laughs> I've got a welcome to the CIA sport. And lastly, I'm an analyst. I don't go on a mission. I just write reports. 
All right, Zach, what do you got? There's a part where Cabot says, it's the guy with one that I'm worried about, referring mm-hmm. to nuclear weapons. Jack Ryan, CIA supervisor, says, someone find out who is banging Elena Richkoff. <laughs> and then finally, when the scavengers are selling the bomb, someone says, there's always someone who will buy this crap. And that's words <laughs> to live by. <laughs> All right, so now it is time for our ratings on a scale of 1 to 10 martinis, 1 being Avengers 1997, and 10 being better than No Time to Die. According Somehow to I don't think Lance will think that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> How would we rate the sum of all fears? I can go first. All right. The beginning, I thought, was quite good. It held my attention. But after the bomb goes off, it actually kind of goes downhill. Because it's compared to 13 days, which felt very real. It really felt like a nuclear war could start any second. Uh-huh. I really didn't get that here. And so okay. we were just waiting for him to finally get on the phone with someone who will listen to him. I didn't find that particularly exciting. I will give the movie four and a half martinis. Wow. All right, Lance. Uh, I'll go ahead and go second. Okay. Uh, again, I, I had to, you know, when I watched it earlier this afternoon, I tried my utmost to distance the movie from the book. I kind of half agree with Zach. There. I thought the, the setup uh, was really good. You know, the, the, the lines that Morgan Freeman had, his character, you know, and the rushing the president out of the, the stadium was good. Mm-hmm. Overall, I mean, I just thought that, you know, a plot using neo-Nazis to detonate a bomb in, in Maryland was kind of a stretch. I mean, I get why they didn't use you know, Islamic terrorism or, um, as, as Zach pointed out, um, Arab nationalist as the, the villain. Actually, Lance, you're right. I'm going to jump in really quick to say that was something else. The bad guy's plot didn't make any sense. They would just blow up the whole world. It didn't have a a good end game to it. What was their overall mission to accomplish other than to get the the U.S. and the Russians to fight one another? If that's the case, well, then if they go nuclear, well, then there's no one left to be a white nationalist against. It would actually make more sense if they were Islamic radicals. And if you don't want them to be Islamic radicals, then have them be some other religious radical. Sure. Um, I actually did like the second half a little bit better than Zach did, but I think ultimately there was was just enough that that just bothered the absolute bejesus out of me. (laughs) I'm actually going to, believe it or not, give this a rating of five and a half martinis. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> all right I, mean, I was i was sure you're gonna do two or three just because like you after know, all did, that complaining yeah. <laughs> well i mean it, if if i compare it to the book then we're in the negative martinis <laughs> no someone owes me several drinks um <laughs> but in independent of the book to be fair the movie isn't all that bad yeah so i, th- I think five and a half overall would be all a right. decent rating so I, well, the last one, I feel like I remember the first time I watched this, you know, probably in 2002, I was, he felt a little, you know, it was too recent to like to actually pay it like that. I only half paid attention because it, it was, you know, a lot of emotions during that post 9-11 time. And then when I rewatched, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, I was actually surprised at how entertained by this movie I was. I don't always necessarily buy Ben Affleck as just an analyst, but I think he pulls the rest of it off well. He pulls off that he, you know, knows what he's talking about. The plot seemed more relevant now about white nationalist groups, you know, banding together to sadly, it's more relevant. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'm gonna give this uh, a six out of ten, just a little bit higher than Lance did, because I did enjoy it, but not as good as some of the 
you know, Harrison Ford's or as good as Hunt for Red October. The individual you know, acting was actually pretty good, I yeah. thought. And I will never, ever say negative things about Morgan Freeman. Oh, yes. Mm, because no, ultimately, I want him to narrate my life story. Mm, well, minor plug for the Spy Museum. Have you been to the new new location? Oh, you have. Of course, you have, Lance. You've been with me. Um, I was. But yes, when that narration comes in for the opening video and we realize, holy crap, that's Morgan Freeman. They got Morgan Freeman. Yeah, they did. It up to a whole new level. Yeah, Morgan Freeman just makes everything better. Okay, well, thank you for joining us, Lance. As always, you are plugging Big Cat Rescue. I mean, Elderly Cat Rescue. Yes, I'm, I'm always about the, the, the elderly cats and dogs, especially. And thank you to our audience for joining us. You can find us on social media at the SpyFi Guys under Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And we are the SpyFi Guys, signing off. Thank you for listening to the SpyFi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, Please be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin McLeo from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spotify Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 